But Matthew, the sixth chapter, Jesus had talked to his disciples and the ones that were with him, and he wanted them to be separate from the way the world did things. The world was seeking after stuff. They were busy. There were cares. There were worries that were pressuring them in life. And what happened was, was he was saying, listen, the world has just gone after stuff trying to get it. And he said, and they're worried, they're concerned, they're wore out, and they just, they just live striving after this stuff. And he said, I don't want you like that. And he, but he said, I know you need all that stuff the world is pursuing. He said, I know it. I, I know you do. And then he told them, if you do it my way, you can have what they're pursuing and either getting or not getting but if you go this way, you can get what they're looking for. And he said, but don't worry about what they're looking for. Because in life, maybe more so in the United States, now everybody in the world's trying to get stuff. Some people live satisfied with what they have. But our society is built on a lot about getting the dollar. And is there anything wrong with the dollar? No. Matter of fact, I think from my view in the Bible, God would love for his people to, to have lots of dollars, just not have dollars have them. You know what I mean by that? In other words, it's a tool. You know, there's psycho people out there that are influenced by evil, and, and you know, you hear about a mother who drowns her kid in a pool. Well, pools aren't evil. They're, they're neither good nor bad, you know, they're, they're immoral. They're, they're, they can be used for good or bad. Somebody can use it one way or the other. Same thing with money. It's just a tool. And uh, so there's nothing wrong with having lots of it. There's just a problem if it has you. you. You know what I mean by that? That was the problem with the rich young ruler in the Bible. His money had him. He made decisions based on money instead of on the Lord. And so the Lord said, give up your money. And he couldn't do it. And then Jesus said this, how hard is it for those who trust in uncertain riches enter the kingdom? Not people who have money, but people who trust in their money. And so our trust should be somewhere else. Our trust should be in the Lord, and our trust should be in him first, and money should be somewhere else after. You could have a billion dollars and not trust it. You know, somebody said, what about that verse of Scripture that says money is the root of all evil? It doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The issue is you can be poor and fall into that. Or you could be rich and fall into that. But you could have money or not have money and not be a lover of money where you put it in a wrong place in your life. And so it's not money, it's the heart. Matthew 6, said this, and that's where God targets us many times. He doesn't always just target our actions, he targets our heart. Because the heart produces all kinds of actions. That's why Jesus you know, mentions things, the writers of the New Testament mention things in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, one person said, guard your heart with all diligence. Your heart is really your will. 
how you see and process things. He said, because through it flow all the issues of life. How you act and how you do things in life come from your will or how you've set yourself. And so here in Matthew 6.33, it says, this is after him talking about the people pursuing all this stuff in the world and going after it. Well, we'll go back to verse 32. For after all these things the Gentiles seek, or literally pursue and fill their hearts and minds. For your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But, so the but is qualifying something. He knows you need them, but. And he said the Gentiles pursue them, but. He's about to separate us from them. In other words, is there a new way to live when you're in the kingdom of God, when you've given your life to Christ? Is there a new way to pursue? Is there a new way to go? And a new way to live? And, and we're not talking about, you know, oh, quit that and start this. We're talking about what he said. He said this. He said, but. Now, remember, they seek these things, but he said, but seek first, or in other words, you seek first the kingdom of God. Make that your pursuit. And his righteousness, who is Jesus, by the way, and all these things shall then be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, but what about tomorrow? He said, forget about tomorrow. What are you doing today? And what are you to do today? You're to seek first and pursue after God. First, make that your number one priority in life. He said, because if you put it right, then these things will be added to you. In other words, if you have the right foundation in your life, you can get stuff on that foundation. If it's all about you and your ways and what you're doing, that's very narrow. If it's after God, he's big and broad. I would say this, if you have a big platform and it starts to snow, or you have a little platform and it starts to snow, which is going to collect more? The bigger platform. And it's a big platform when you seek first the kingdom of God and you seek after God. That opens yourself up big. When it's about you, it becomes very narrow. Because God's way bigger than you and his plans and his ways and what he wants are massive. When you open yourself up to him, you're opening yourself up to something. And it will do something to you. And so as believers, we need to really go after God. And what does that mean? When he said seek first, that meant make him your priority. Open yourself up to him. Empty yourself of your own initiative to do your own plans as a priority. And your own way as a priority to give way for his plans and his priorities. What that does is it starts emptying yourself 
and starts giving way for him to be able to fill you. The more full of myself I am, the less I am filled in myself with God. If I choose not to go his way and do his thing, I start closing him out to fill myself with me. My dreams, my desires, what I want to do, all that kind of stuff. And I start becoming very narrow. I start retracting and closing in. Paul said it this way. He, he was correcting and talking to the church one day. He said, you're not hemmed in by me and what I said. And you know what it is to hem in? You know, like your, your dress or your shoes or your, not your shoes. Hopefully they're not hemmed in. Well, I guess they are on the top. But your, your jeans are hemmed in. It's closed up and in. And he said, you get hemmed in by your own desires. And so what happens when we become selfish in life, we become self-absorbed. It closes us out to him and what he wants. But when I start going, no, it's not about me. I'm going to start going after him. I start opening myself up to something. And that's really what he's saying here. If you'll start seeking first, I'll start getting that stuff if you'll keep your priorities in a certain way. But that's not the only thing that will happen to you if you will do that. And it can be an adjustment. It can be an adjustment because people can tend toward wanting to do it their own way. For some people, it's security. For some people, they've just chosen. And, but what happens is they get empty. And there is no believer that ever has to be empty. But if I'll open myself up, turn to Psalm 37. If I'll open myself up and really just go, I'm going after it. I don't care about my own opinions, my own ways. I'm just going to start talking to God. I'm going to start reading his word and seeing what he says in there. And I'm going to start asking him what he'd want. And if he deals with me, then I'm going to do it, period. That's how you open yourself up. And when you open yourself up, you're going to be in for it. Not in a bad way. <laughs> Somebody's like, great. No, you'll be in for it in a good way. Because actually what you'll do is you'll give God place in your life to do something. Something only He can do. And really it is the thing that makes you satisfied in life. And it's the only thing that will really satisfy you. A lot of people do a lot of things that are natural, and I found this in my own life. I enjoyed certain things in the natural, but they don't hit me spiritually and satisfy me spiritually. They have their place, but they can't have first place because they'll never really do it for anybody, ever. Even though, you know, you may have a sports team or you may have this activity you like and, and you can enjoy it and have fun and do those different things, but it'll never hit the spot that he can hit. In other words, he's the only one who can hit the spot in your life, so to speak. Nothing else can. And that's why people do a lot of stuff and, you know, they think if I could only do this and only do that, it won't satisfy you only thing that will truly satisfy is the Lord. 
Nobody in Hollywood is satisfied because they have this lifestyle and everything. The only ones there that are, are the ones who have the Lord first. There's no sports figure who's satisfied and fulfilled in life, ultimately, you know, just because of their physical stuff. I remember hearing some people who won some NBA titles, and one of the guys was walking out the tunnel after they had won, and he had strove to win and strove to win. And when he was walking out the tunnel, he said to himself, is this all there is with this? He's still, as far as I know, not saved. But he found out once he was there, didn't have it, didn't hit him where he thought. And so there is something to knowing, I mean, to saving you a lot of hurt and a lot of trouble that you need to seek first the Lord and things will be added. But not only that, something will happen to you. It will open you up. It will make, a, it'll make you make a decision of, is he going to be first? Is he going to be the one? And that will create in you an exercise of your will to put away things to make him first. Notice this in Psalm 37. And when I put those things away, in other words, whatever it takes for me to keep him first, something will begin to happen in your life. Something will begin to occur. And this is a hard issue, not just a exercise. You understand? This is a heart issue. This is... This is something you set yourself to do. Psalm 37, uh, verse, we'll read in verse, we'll start in verse three, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness. Verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord. Now, I'm not going to read the second part of that verse yet, but he said, delight yourself also in the Lord. He told us to do something, but then he said, delight yourself also. Does that mean just go, ah, I'm I'm delighted. Are you delighted? I'm so delighted. I guess there could be that, but if you look up the word, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can look up words, it literally means be pliable. Because, you know, anybody can go, woohoo. <laughs> but he said, be pliable. So you could say delight or be pliable. Make yourself pliable also in the Lord. See, that really has to do with seeking him. Be pliable. Okay, Lord, I'm, I'll, I'll do whatever you want to do. That's pliable, isn't it? You know, the opposite of pliable would be rigid. Well, if I'm rigid and, and he tries to deal with me, rigid doesn't move real well. Does it? Pliable does. He said, delight or be pliable, make yourself this way. Also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think you could read that two ways, and it wouldn't do anything, any harm to the Scripture. If I make myself pliable, he will give desires, give me the desires of my heart. In other words, 
he will put desires in my heart. If I have a penny, you know, like, or coin or something like that, when I was little, I, we had silly putty, you know, remember that stuff? Comes in an egg, make it into a ball, bounce off the wall. But then you could take, and I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but I can do it every time. And so you could take and squish that stuff out down and put it on a newspaper. And because it's real soft and pliable, remember doing that, pulling it up? And it would, because it's soft and pliable, it would take on the image of the object it was being attached to. Or if you had a penny or a dime or something, you could push it in there and it would leave with the image. If we're pliable, he's able to give you the desires of your heart. He's able to put desires in your heart. He's a, if you're pliable. And then what happens is you get something in your heart. And you can get something in your heart from him. If, if I'm just pliable, and, it, you, know, it's, you know, I mean, I understand I'm talking about silly putty, but that leaves with something from the paper, the image. When we're with the Lord, and the Bible tells us in Isaiah, you know, to wait upon the Lord and we will renew or change strengths. And then it talks about how he's never weak or anything, and it really talks about how we can get strong. We can gain something if we'll spend time with him and hang out with him. Here, he's saying the same type of thing. If you will be pliable to him, he can get something into you. So many people are wanting something to satisfy them and to drive them and give them a greater purpose in life. It's going to come from God. It's, it's ingrained in the man to do something great for God or for in life. But it's for God. But that's why gangs function well because it gives people a greater sense of purpose, though they'll never be fulfilled in it. That's why you see people doing so many humanitarian things because there is something there, but they're just not always connecting properly. Ultimately, in the ultimate connection is when you connect with God and he's able to put something in your heart and it's not just you doing something, but I'll tell you what, he'll put things in you and something internally will try to drive you. It will be God. Philippians said this, or actually turn there. Philippians, the third chapter, says this concerning God doing this in your life. Notice this. And um, I wasn't going to turn here. But Philippians, the third chapter, says this. In the twelfth uh, verse, he said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence only, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, maybe you've heard that verse, but there's an interesting part of this. He said, 
I don't want you just to do what's right when I'm watching. I want you to do what's right all the time. I want you to follow God and be obedient all the time. The next verse is, a, is the hinge that makes the door swing. Obedience or responding, doing what you know when I'm around, when I'm not around, all the time. For it is God who works in you. Where does God work? In you. Where does God work in a believer? Inside of them. I think it's good for us to know as believers where He works inside of us. Because otherwise you can think He's working because you have goosebumps. He's working. He's got goosebumps. And that could be an effect. Or my heart is racing right now. Well, you might have just gone down some stairs. You know, I, I don't know. You know, I, I saw a billboard, and it said go, and, and he could use a billboard, but where is it in you that he works? The Bible is plain that humanity has three parts. Each person has three parts. And this may seem like, just so trivial to know this, but what it does is it can locate the place where God will work in you. He said we're a spirit being. He said we have a soul or an emotional part of us, a mind, will, emotion, intellect, our, 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 our heart, the core of how we think and believe. And then he said we have a body. We, as people, know we have an outside part and an inside part, right? Because when somebody, somebody dies, we go to the funeral, their body is there. Either it's been cremated or whatever, but it's there. But the minister will say, they have gone. So there's an inside part of you and an outside part. The inside has your emotions and everything, but there's a spiritual part. And the Bible is plain where that is. Proverbs says this in, in the King James. It says, the spirit of a man, the spiritual part of you, is the candle or the light bulb, we would say, of the Lord. It's where he lights, gives light, gives understanding and direction. And he said this, searching all the inward parts of the belly. Now, we're not talking about your stomach, but we are talking about a location. When a person gets saved and gives their life to Christ, we should become acquainted with where he will deal with me, way deep down inside. I'd even, getting ready for the message this morning, started meditating. You know what meditate means, to think deeply on? I was thinking on a scripture and I thought, oh, I could use that. That would be good, Lord. And something way down in me went, ugh. Ugh. And the Bible said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. One translation says, let it be the umpire calling the shots. And peace just went, ugh. And I went, you know, Lord, I won't use that verse. 
I said, I'll scratch that one. We just want you. It's a good verse. It's a really good one. I won't use that. So if God works in me, he works way down inside. And when you get quiet and you start seeking him, he'll start dealing with you beyond your emotions. That's why I said you've got to know you have an emotional part of you. Because your emotions can change from day to day. Nobody ever noticed that? <laughs> Woohoo! Uh, yay! Boo! You know, and you've got to learn to live apart from the emotions. Then what are you going to live according to? How you feel in your body? Well, then you just set the air conditioner to the temperature you want, and, and then it'll just be fine. But you can't do that. You can't live according to the outward of the body. I mean, there are things you do need to pay attention to, and you can't always live according to your emotions, but there's something beyond your emotions. Remember Jesus when the, when the woman was caught in the act of adultery? She had been sinning under the Jewish law. She should have been stoned to death right there, and these men brought her, and they, they wanted to trap Jesus. So he said, what should we do? Moses said to kill her. So Jesus said, all right, the first one, without sin, let him cast a stone. Now, he's perfect, so he could have said, get me one, I'll show you how to do this. But he said, okay, whichever one, fine, you can do it. The law said do it, so whoever is without sin, then you start. But if you read the story, it says Jesus stooped down and wrote in the sand or in the ground. It doesn't say what he wrote, so it's only speculation, so we shouldn't say. He, he didn't say, you know, some people said he wrote their sins. You don't know that. Somebody said he wrote their names. You don't know that. I say he was playing tic-tac-toe. <laughs> but I don't know that. And it doesn't say on purpose because the important thing was is he gave them time to be quiet. How do you know that? Because it said they stood there and each one of them from the oldest, which is in the society then, was the people of esteem. You respected your elders. It said from the oldest to the youngest, it said they were convicted in their own conscience and they walked away. It wasn't just his words. Something in them cut them. Something in them accused them and made them know what was right and what was wrong. And they didn't even stand around to discuss it. He didn't say leave. He didn't say anything but what he said, and he left them to themselves. And inside, something started dealing with them. And it said their own conscience dealt with them, and they all left. So then he got up and he said, hey, where are your accusers? said, so there are none left, Lord. He said, well, then I don't condemn you. And he said, go keep sinning. You're okay. No, he said, go and sin no more. But they knew that deep down inside. People do know deep down inside what is right and what is wrong. The believer should become acquainted because notice verse 13, for it 
is God who works in you, way down inside, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He's working in you to will, to want to, to desire, to do his good pleasure. Man, if I become pliable, I should be recognizing his dealings. That's one of the great things about praying in the Spirit or praying in tongues. You connect down, like Jesus said, out of your belly will flow. He uses that location too, rivers of living water. And he said, thus he spoke of the Holy Spirit. It's a way to connect way down inside to that river, the life, the Holy Spirit in you. And he said he would, would do this out of the inside of you. So God, if we will surrender our life, and I mean not just give our life to him, but live a life to follow him, he'll do stuff in us. Notice this in Romans. And so he'll put stuff in you. He'll cause something to drive you from the inside out. If we will be pliable, Romans 15... We'll put him first. We'll be actually giving him a place to work in our life. What it'll do is it'll start to change the pursuits of your life. Notice this in Romans, the 15th chapter. Romans 15. I just have to get there too. Romans 15, and we'll begin reading in verse 13. It says this, now may the God of hope, now may the God of hope, what God do we serve? The God of hope. He's the God of hope. What is a good definition of hope? <clears throat> we use it different today in our English language than they would have used it back then. Like if I say, hey, you want to go out to lunch today? We'll go over here. You say, well, I hope I can go. If you say, I hope I can, what does that mean? Well, maybe, maybe not, right? And so what if we heard and interpreted in the light of our vernacular what he said? He's the God of hope. He's the God of maybe, maybe not. Well, that's really good. He's the God of maybe and maybe not. God, I need some help. You're the God of hope. Well, maybe, maybe not. That's great. <laughs> yeah. When the Bible said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, I talk about having friends when I was in the world and not living for God. And I remember when I got my face smashed in and my teeth knocked out and had eight feet of stitching to reconstruct my face, I had a friend standing right there. I jumped in to help somebody. My other friend stood there when somebody came up behind me with a motorcycle helmet and spun me as I was facing another guy. I barely had my head turned and he threw the thing right in my face and I went flying backwards. He just did a full swing. And he said, now don't get up. Well... Of course, you just sit there, so I'm going to get up. I got my head a foot off the ground, and he soccer kicked me in the same place right here again. My friend's right over there watching. 
He said, I'll be with you in trouble. The Lord said that. Well, he was with me in trouble. Yay. <laughs> All right, God, you're with me in trouble. No. He said, I'll never leave you and I won't forsake you. That dude forsook me. Flat out. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> he forsook me. He was with me, but he said, I'll never forsake you and I'll never leave you. But here's the thing think about it. He said he's the God of hope. And if we just define hope like, well, you know, I hope, hope, hope we're going to. We're going to have a meeting after church, you know, for those who want to go on the mission trip. We would like you to come if you're thinking about it. Well, I hope I can be there. Well, then we're not counting fully on you. But what if this hope means something different and, and it really would put some backbone to who God is for you and me? He's called the God of all hope. It liter literally hope in the Bible means a positive Godward expectation. That's not, well, maybe and maybe. That's a positive hope. A pos he's the God of all positive expectation. No wonder he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Well, that's a positive expectation. That doesn't leave room for something else. That doesn't leave room for you to wonder if he'll want to do something on your behalf. Notice this. He said, now, now may the God of all hope fill you with all, now this is what he does, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. When you're trusting, when you're obeying, when you're responding, when you're living for him, he will fill you with peace and joy as you're trusting and obeying. But notice he didn't stop there. He said here, he said, that you may abound. It sounds like overflowing. You know, it's abounding. Abound, notice, he said, abound in hope. Now, we're talking about living our lives for the Lord and really putting him first. And how he'll start putting desires in your heart, but he'll give you peace and he'll give you joy, and then he'll put hope in you. What is hope? A positive, Godward expectation. You'll start thinking, man, God, we could do something here. I could do something for you. There's something you want done, you'll help me. He'll start putting some expectation in you, and it won't just be from the outside. It won't be something you have to stir up. Is something he would put in there. He would put it in there. He said, notice in verse 13, that you may abound in hope or in a Godward positive expectation. You'll come through, God. You'll answer my prayers. You'll work on my behalf. You'll guide me. You'll do this. You're working on my behalf. This will happen because you said it. He'll fill you with hope. How? Where? Where he deals with you, down inside your spirit. 
and it'll begin to influence your whole life. Notice this, by the power of the Holy Spirit. By His Spirit, He will do this. I don't know about you, but if you'll start hanging around with God, spending time with Him, really wanting to do what He wants, and just talking to Him, and kind of presenting your life to Him, hey, this is what I'm doing, and we have our pursuits that we must do, but we put Him first, I'll tell you what, you don't get to hang around people too long until certain things will start wearing off on you. And he's not real despondent and really blue and down. He's the God of all hope. So if you're around him, by the power of his spirit, it's going to start wearing off on you. He's going to start getting that over to you where you're going to have some expectation from him. Well, if he gives you expectation, he's not going to give you something unfounded that he wouldn't back up. Man, what kind of character would he have if he did that? He started putting expectation in you for something big, something good, something right, just to not fulfill it. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? And he said, if a child asks for this, will he give him this? If a child asks for this, will he give him that? He said, no, he'll give him what he asked for. And he said, listen, if a natural parent will do this, he said, how much will your heavenly Father do this? He is not going to give you something just so you dream without a fulfilled dream. In other words, he's going to put hope, expectation in you for something bigger, brighter, greater. I mean, I'll tell you what, every person who's saved, if they would pay attention, has a hope for heaven. That will be fulfilled someday. But there's hope we need in this life. There's a positive expectation for something we need. Whether it's paying bills, whatever it is, doing his kingdom business, you put him first, he'll start working in you. I guarantee you this, you fellowship with him by praying and talking to him and just really surrendering your life to him as a believer, and he'll start putting stuff in you, and you'll notice I, you ha will start having a drive from the inside. And he'll start adding things to your life you didn't even know could be added if you would just put him first.